Let me begin by saying to our alumni, welcome home. My lecture is intended to be its own kind of homecoming, since I plan to take you back in time, back to the sophomore music tutorial. It was there that you took up the study of musical elements, tone, interval, scale, mode, rhythm, structure, as well as the fundamental rules of counterpoint and harmony. You may recall some of the big questions that came up in your classes. What makes a melody a whole rather than a mere sequence of tones? What light do ratios and the overtone series shed on the phenomenon we call music? What is time in music? What does it mean for tones to have meaning? What is the connection between words and tones in song? And what does it mean for human beings to be musical? I shall not attempt to answer any of these questions tonight. <laughs> My goal is humbler, though still daunting. It is to recapture the spirit and substance of the music tutorial by attempting the musical equivalent of a close reading of a text. My text is an aria from Mozart's magic flute, Dies Bildnis ist bezaubernd schön. This image is enchantingly beautiful. One of the most exquisite love songs ever written. It occurs early in the opera and is sung by Prince Tamino as he gazes upon a likeness of Pamina, daughter of the Queen of the Night and Tamino's destined other. The magic flute has been called Mozart's Masonic opera, and so it is. Mozart was a serious Freemason. So was his librettist, Emanuel Schikanator, at whose Viennese theater the work was first produced, and who was the first to play the Birdman, Papageno. The opera, or rather Singspiel, play with songs, is filled with Masonic ideals, symbols, terms, rituals, and numerology. The mystic three is especially prominent. Three flats in the key signature. Three ladies, three boys, three temples, and of course, three tones in the major triad, which Mozart highlights in various ways throughout the opera. I say all this now because the Masonic influence, though pervasive, will not be my concern. I want to focus instead on the power and precision of Mozart's music. We love music because of how it makes us feel. We listen to some works more than others because we want to experience the feelings they stir in us. But feeling is not primary in music, nor is it always the reason why we listen. Most of the time we listen to a piece of music because, well, we want to hear it. We take pleasure in the hearing, but the pleasure is not in the pleasure, as though music were a drug used only to produce a rush. The pleasure is in what we are hearing, in the distinctive Eisteton, or object of perception. Sometimes we listen to a musical work because we wish to hear a quality or perfection that is present in it. We listen for the sake of an active, even strenuous contemplation in which we participate in, are one with the life and shape of the musical object. To be sure, feelings are aroused, but these are grounded in and prompted by what we perceive in the tones, in what is there in the phenomenon we call music. We might say that in responding to music, we perceive feelingly and feel perceptively. But in saying this, we must bear in mind that perception is primary. We do not, except incidentally, hear musical sounds and associate them with various feelings, images, or experiences. On the contrary, we perceive what is there and take on the condition that rhythms and tones communicate to us. There is a wonderful passage by Paul Valéry on the musical universe, the phrase that inspired the title of my talk. It occurs in his essay, Poetry and Abstract Thought. The passage makes clear the primacy of musical perception. Quote, 
The musician is in possession of a perfect system of well-defined means, which exactly match sensations with acts. From this it results that music has formed a domain absolutely its own. The world of the art of music, a world of sounds, is distinct from the world of noises, whereas a noise merely rouses in us some isolated event, a dog, a door, a motor car, a sound evokes of itself the musical universe. If in this hall where I am speaking to you and where you hear the noise of my voice, a tuning fork or a well-tempered instrument began to vibrate, you would at once as soon as you were affected by this pure and exceptional noise that cannot be confused with others, have the sensation of a beginning, the beginning of a world. A quite different atmosphere would immediately be created. A new order would arise, and you yourselves would unconsciously organize yourselves to receive it." End quote. Let us observe that the beings that populate Valerie's musical universe are tones, pure and simple. If words are to gain entrance to this world, they do so by the grace, as it were, of tones. The tones are primary. This is crucial in the essay in which the passage occurs, since Valerie wishes to contrast the musical universe with the poetic universe. The musical universe is an autonomous realm that contains objects perfectly suited to the art of music, whereas the poetic universe is forced, quote, to borrow language, the voice of the public, that collection of traditional and irrational terms and rules, oddly created and transformed, oddly codified, and very variedly understood and pronounced, end quote. Let us now enter the musical universe of Tamino's aria. The aria is inspired, as I mentioned earlier, by an image of Pamina. The portrait is given to Tamino by the three ladies who serve the Queen of the Night. The Queen, as we discover, means to use Tamino's love for Pamina to seduce the hero into saving Pamina from Sorastro, the villain, Bersewicht, who has abducted Pamina. Given the young hero's fervent devotional response to what he sees, we might call this image an icon. It is said to be magical, but surely it needs no magic beyond Pamina's likeness to enchant the young prince, who sings as if caught up in a dream. The words to his song are as follows. This image is enchantingly beautiful, such as no eye has ever seen. I feel it, I feel it, how this divine portrait fills my heart with new emotions. I cannot name this, yet I feel it here, burning like fire. Could the feeling be love? Yes, yes, it is love alone, love, it is love alone. Oh, if only I could find her. Oh, if she were already standing before me. I would, would, warm and pure, what would I? Enraptured, I would press her to this burning breast, and forever would she then be mine. <clears throat> Tamino's fire-filled words trace out a progression in three stages. First, he marvels at a divine image. Second, he asks whether the feeling it inspires in him, and which at first he cannot name, is love, but then affirms that it must be love. And third, he wonders what he would do if the beloved were standing before him concluding that he would press her to his breast and she would be his forever. Tamino is doing more in this song than expressing his feelings. He beholds his inner state and makes it an object of reflection. He marvels at the power of the magical object that he perceives and his passionate response to it. He does not immediately identify his new emotion with love, but rather reaches that conclusion through inner dialogue and questioning. Mozart's music perfectly captures the stages of Tamino's awakening, the meaning of his words, and the motions of his soul. Let us hear 
how the words of the aria sound when they are lifted into the universe of tones. I begin with the observation that the aria is a precisely formed, perfectly balanced, 
whole. Tamino is agitated and confused, but his music, though passionate, is restrained, stately, and inward-sounding. It embodies, as I noted earlier, not merely his feeling, but his awareness. The music critic and writer of tales, E.T.A. Hoffmann, once said that Haydn, Mozart, and Beethoven all have the musical virtue of Besonnenheit. The word Besonnenheit means something like rational awareness, sensibleness, being in one's right mind. Tamino's aria, in its concision and restraint, is a superb example of this virtue. The song is in E-flat major, the solemn, heroic key of the opera, and has a moderately slow two-beat measure. It is scored for strings, clarinets, bassoons, and French horns, no flutes or oboes. Their sound is like a warm glow emanating from Tamino's heart, or rather, the sound of the new world in which Tamino finds himself. The aria is in a truncated version of sonata form. It follows the usual tripartite structure, exposition, development, and recapitulation, and its key area plan goes from tonic one to dominant five, and then back to the tonic. But there is no repeat of the opening theme, as is customary in the sonata. This allows for greater compression and dramatic urgency. The opening sound of the aria is a tender statement of the E-flat major triad, spelled out in dotted rhythms and played by the strings. Clearly, the singer we are about to hear, unlike Papageno with his bouncy bird catcher song, is noble. Tamino's first utterance is a leap on the words, dies Bildnis, dies Bildnis. This image, a rising major sixth from scale degree five in the E-flat major scale up to scale degree three, B-flat to G, five, three. The leap is an event in Tamino's soul, the sudden wonder inspired by Pamina's likeness. When his sentence is spoken in German, the accent is on schön, beautiful. Dies Bildnis ist bezaubernd schön. But the tones accent the word Bildnis, image, leaving no doubt that for Tamino the focus is initially on what he sees, on the source and cause of his surging passion. After the inspired leap from five to three, the melody gently descends by steps, pausing on degree four, A-flat, an unstable degree that tends downward toward three. Five, three, two, one, seven, six, five, four. The musical phrase corresponds to the first phrase of the sentence. This image is enchantingly beautiful. As Tamino moves to the second part of his sentence, as no eye has ever seen, he sings a second rising sixth, from four up to two, A-flat to F. He then descends by steps to three, the tone to which his earlier four was pointing. So together the phrases go like this. Five, three, two, one, seven, six, five, four, four, two, one, seven, six, five, four, three. Whereas the first phrase landed on a tone that was unstable and wanted to move, the second complements the first and brings it to rest. Thanks to the postponement of the move from four to three, the two phrases form a single phrase. Not two sets of tones, but one coherent movement composed of two sub-movements. The entire phrase is bounded by an octave that extends from the high three to which Tamino leaps to the low three to which he descends by step. Those are the boundaries. 
Mozart's musical language is that of tonal harmony. This means that the music is firmly grounded in a tonal center, the tone to which all the other tones point, and has a background or underpinning in the movement of what we call chords. We sometimes call this chordal movement an accompaniment to the melody, but it is more precise to say that the harmony is the structured movement that interprets the melody and reveals its depth. Harmony is present in the two-part phrase we have just examined. The harmonic movement is from the one chord, or a tonic, to the five-seven chord, or a dominant seventh, and back again to the tonic, or one, a musical oscillation. Dies Bildnis ist verzaubernd schön, wie noch kein Auge je gesehen. You hear it? This works because the 5 7 chord, thanks to the tritone, points in a precise direction to the one chord, in this case the E-flat major triad. We can therefore say that Mozart's opening two-part phrase is the unity of two kinds of tension that beget movement, the melodic tension of individual tones and the harmonic tension of chords. Zuckerkondel argues, persuasively I think, that these directed tensions and their various relations to one another are the primary object of musical perception that to listen to music, at least in the tradition of tonal harmony, is to perceive not pitches, but forces, dynamic qualities that manifest themselves in and through pitches and hold the piece together. After the opening phrase, which goes harmonically from one to five and back again, the tones open up and move forward. This is due largely to the harmony, which, having so far confined itself to 1571, the oscillation from before, now moves briefly to the 4 or subdominant chord over a continued E flat in the bass, then returns to 1. The 4 chord signals the away move in a harmonic journey and produces a lessening of harmonic tension. Tamino here moves from the picture to his inner state. I feel it, I feel it, how this divine portrait fills my heart with new emotions. As he says, I feel it, I feel it, he sings appoggiaturas on feel. B natural to C, then A natural to, to, to B flat. Ich feel es. Appoggiaturas are leaning tones, unstable tones on strong beats, which briefly delay the arrival of a main tone in the melody. Here, the leaning tone is an affect perfectly suited to the word feel. The accompaniment echoes this affect. As Tamino leans into his feeling, the strings lean in sympathy with him. Sorry. Ich feel us. Ich feel us. And do that again. Ich feel us. Ich feel us. Right after his appoggiaturas, Tamino speaks of his heart and the new emotions that Pamina's image has aroused in it. His outburst on Goethebild, divine portrait, occurs at the exact center of his opening 13-measure period. Tamino sings his second dramatic leap from B-flat to A-flat, the highest tone of his song. Wie dies Goethe 
built. The interval, a minor seventh, is an even bigger leap than his opening sixth. The melody on Goethebild outlines part of the 5-7 or dominant seventh chord. The music does not, however, resolve this tense chord, which points to E-flat, but rather stresses it and lingers on it. When the tonic chord does arrive, it is not the end of the previous phrase, but the beginning of a new one. Now past his dramatic outburst on Goethebild, Tamino retreats to a calmer, more inward mood as he completes his sentence, fills my heart with new emotions. The accompaniment is measured and lovely, like the gentle strumming of a guitar, bass note, chord, bass note, chord. Goethebild. Goethebild. And then, mein Herz mit neuer Regung fehlt. For now, I won't play that chord. I'll just give you that note. Again, the lovely strumming is really so lovely. simple, so beautiful. The harmony takes us on a little musical journey as the melody begins and ends on an E-flat or degree one. Mein Herz mit neuer The sequence of chords here arouses the expectation that the tense 5-7 chord will resolve on the tonic, which would fit the E-flat or 1 in the melody. I'll play that for you. Mein Herz mit neuer But this does not happen. When Tamino sings his one on fühlt, fills, which in German closely resembles fühlt, feels, the harmony subverts the expected closure. It interprets Tamino's E-flat as part of a dissonant, diminished seventh chord based on A natural. Mein Herz mit the tones seem to have gone off course. We have here a deceptive cadence. The cadence formula leads us to expect an end, but the harmony takes a detour at the last minute and puts instability, in this case, extreme instability, in place of stability. This produces tension and the need for continued movement. The unexpected, darkly passionate diminished seventh chord is an applied dominant or secondary dominant. This is a chord that tenses toward a chord other than the tonic, in this case to the 5-7 of E-flat, a B-flat dominant seventh chord. To sum up, Three kinds of musical tension unite in a single word, on the, in a single chord on the word fills. Deceptive cadence, applied dominant, diminished seventh chord. Tamino's unassuming E-flat in the melody does not reveal the full meaning of the word he sings or the passion it embodies. This revelation falls to harmony, which here interprets Tamino's E-flat by releasing in it an unexpected potential. The deceptive diminished seventh chord is the harmonic interior of Tamino's melodic tone. We may call it the soul of that tone. The inner soul-like aspect of harmony recalls what Wagner once said, that harmony is, quote, the first thing that fully persuades the feeling as to the emotional content of the melody, which otherwise would leave to it something undetermined, end quote.
I think we've just heard an example of that. Right after the deceptive cadence, the first violins, as if inspired by Tamino, sing rising phrases that form a gentle two-part wave, up and down, up and down. Those are the lovely phrases. Obviously, we need to move on from there. Their tones outline the degrees of the B-flat 7 chord to which the diminished 7th chord was pointing. With this move, the tones regain their direction in the musical journey. Because here's what they lead us to expect. seventh chord, spelled out by the first uh, violins, gently leads Tamino to repeat his sentence, this time with musical closure. Again, he sings his rising sixth from B-flat to G on the words, mein Herz, my heart, and then goes even higher to his A-flat. He ends his phrase with a smooth three, two, one. tones at the end. The harmony here traverses a complete cycle or journey at the end aligning itself non-deceptively with Tamino's E-flat. I think we can hear that. This is the gratifying culmination of Tamino's opening 13 measure period. Tamino then pauses as clarinets in gentle thirds take us into a new section of the exposition. music changes key from E-flat to B-flat, from one to five. The circle of fifths makes this standard move for a sonata form piece in a major key perfectly natural. But observe how easily E-flat is dislodged and B-flat established as the new tonic. The upper clarinet goes from G to F, three to two in E-flat, and then repeats the F. Three to two. Had it gone from G to F and on to E flat, the former key would have been maintained. Three, two, one. Hear that? That's how easy it is to dislodge the one. The one has already been weakened. Three, two, two. It is the emphasis on two that subtly begins to move the tonal center from one to five. It blocks the move to E flat as scale degree one and begins to set up F as degree five of our new key, B flat. The appearance of A natural, degree seven in the B flat scale, solidifies this move. Here's how that would sound. I'll, I'll try, what I'm gonna do is I'll sing it again and in mid two, I'll change that to a five. And some of you may be able to sing the one that goes with it. Should we try this? We've changed key. Okay. Almost. <laughs> Multi-keys. Earlier, Tamino sang his appoggiaturas and the orchestra followed. Now the reverse happens. The upper clarinet introduces a new musical strain which Tamino follows, as if inspired by it. I cannot name this, he sings, yet I feel it here burning like fire. Was kann ich zwar nicht nennen, doch is hier wie Feuer brennen. In imitation of the clarinet, Tamino begins on his high G, now degree six, and descends stepwise. 
His gently undulating phrase ends with a leaning tone, C-sharp to D, on the verb nenen, name. He then repeats the phrase with a slight variation on the words, yet I feel it here burning like fire. The harmony is simple, oscillation between the tonic, now B-flat, and the dominant, now F. A brief transition in dotted rhythms played by clarinets and bassoons takes us to Tamino's first question, which he stresses by singing it twice. Could the feeling be love? This chromatic E natural on love, sorry, I lost it. This chromatic E natural on love, the applied dominant of which it is a part, C7, and the florid notes of the first violin, all sound as though a light were beginning to dawn, as though the question, could this be love, was more than just a question. The anticipation of the answer is heightened by the brief interlude played by the clarinets. Their rising phrases in dotted rhythms gently nudge Tamino and give him his cue. His ya ya completes the sequence of upward melodic gestures. Ya ya. You hear the violins, they lead him right to it and just give him his cue. He follows them. Tamino answers his question, yes, yes, it is love alone, love, it is love alone. He sings the word Liebe, love, four times in all, three times with an expressive leaning tone, and once with a climactic flourish called a turn. I'll just sing a little bit of that. Let's see, where am I? At the end of his first phrase, right after ya ya, Tamino sings a straightforward 3 2 1, D C B flat on the word allein, alone or only. Allein. You can hear the 3 2 1 ending the phrase, ending on 1. But the harmony once more undercuts the stability of his melodic one with a deceptive cadence. Instead of 5-1, we get 5-6, where 6 is a minor chord. I'll play the non-deceptive one first. If the, if the deceptive cadence were not there, it would sound like this. Let's see. But it's not that. Hear the difference? Musically, this is a subtle way of extending the phrase and producing the need to move on. Also, the minor six adds a gently dark inflection and fervor to the word align. There are a lot of appearances of heat in this song. I think the deceptive cadences, the diminished seventh chords, uh, a lot of elements where Mozart looks like he's trying to capture the fire that's in Tamino's words and in Tamino's heart. As Tamino repeats his sentence, it is love alone. He dwells on Liebe and makes it into its own musical phrase in three parts. First, a leap that gently descends by step. Then the same phrase repeated. Finally, an embellished ascent to a high G. The chord on this G is a dramatic diminished seventh chord that points to the F major triad, the five of B flat. Sorry, that again. Liebe. 
there it is. Both melody and harmony are at this point up in the air, begging for resolution. The eighth note rest that follows heightens the suspense. After the rest, tension is released as Tamino completes his sentence. He drops more than an octave to an F and proceeds by step to B flat, our new one, this time supported rather than undercut by the accompanying harmony. So it's The cadence embellished by a turn played by the first violins brings the section to a close. It completes the musical thought that the preceding deceptive cadence had postponed. We now enter the middle section of the aria. I think you will agree that although not much time has passed, much has happened. That the tones are embarking on a new large section of the piece is signaled by the two whole measures in which the orchestra shifts to quicker rhythms that give the song more forward momentum. The strings play 16th and 32nd notes as the winds enter with a recurring pattern of syncopations or offbeat rhythms. The first violins surge upward in 32nd notes grouped in quick pairs, then play a rapid succession of appoggiaturas. And that's repeated. While that's happening, the second violins play a lovely counter melody in contrary motion. <clears throat> hear that? Hear the, hear the two melodies? I'll do that again. The appoggiaturas then take over and become the first violin's principal theme. They are like little flutters of the heart, born of heightened expectation. Underneath this dense rhythmic complex, the bass viols provide support with a persistent B-flat in 16th notes, the quickened pulse and heartbeat of this part of Tamino's music. All these rhythms together form a complex musical image of the reflective passion that leads Tamino to his second question. Oh, if only I could find her. Oh, if she were already standing before me. I would, would, warm and pure. What would I? Tamino's melody on these words begins as a passionate stepwise swell on his two exclamations. The ascent begins on B-flat or 1 and reaches its peak on the high A-flat. At the end of each phrase, he outlines part of the dominant seventh chord that points to E-flat. Tritone in there. But the harmony does not go there. The tones seem to be caught in a region of harmonic indeterminacy. As Tamino now moves beyond his two exclamations, he breaks the pattern and sings a perfect fourth from C up to F on Ich würde, I would. Ich, ich würde. Then another perfect fourth from B flat up to E flat on Würde, repeated. Würde. The repetition suggests that Tamino is suspended in mid thought by the indeterminacy of his feelings and intentions. He does not know how to complete his sentence. The sense of indeterminacy is evident in the accompaniment, which plays mysterious dusky measures with a flurry of chromatic appoggiaturas. When Tamino sings warm and pure, he uses a warm sounding G flat as the little heart flutters played by, played by the first violins outline the same diminished seventh chord on A natural that we heard in the exposition. Um, yeah. 
so he's at here This chord points to the B-flat major triad that immediately follows. The tones seem to have found their direction, their tonal center, or one. But as Tamino utters his second question, what would I, he ends his phrase by falling a major sixth from F down to the A-flat, an octave below the A-flat we heard earlier. One more little flutters in there. The intense anticipation that has built up in the course of this middle section of the aria, and which seems to stall on the 5-7 chord, is emphasized by the full measure of rest that follows. This is the longest, most dramatic pause in a song full of pauses and withheld resolutions. The soundless measure prolongs and heightens the tension of the preceding 5-7 chord, the harmonic image of Tamino's aporia. In other words, it is a dynamic, charged silence. The measure is a superb example of how silence is part of the musical universe, how silence in music is not void, but order. That is to say, musical silence has, or is, a form. No doubt we are to imagine that Tamino's soul, during this measure, is gathering itself for a further revelation, for an answer to the question, what would I? Indeed, he finds an answer, but not through words, not through questioning. The answer, or rather the, ex the inner experience that leads to the answer, wells up in him wordlessly during the silence. He is listening for the promptings of his heart and the music of his soul. These promptings will show him the way and will soon become articulate in song. The music continues, not after the silence, but from it. The silence has become a source. The strings reestablish momentum with an oscillating so-called Alberti bass played by the violas and persistent 16th notes on a low E flat played by the bass viols. So here's the end. Uh, where am I? That's the end. Then there's the measure. repeating. It oscillates. They combine the quickened pace of Tamino's newfound resolve with the tenderness that characterizes the whole aria. The oscillation played by the violas is a straightforward 1-5-7-1 in E-flat major. This confirms that we have returned to the home key and that the recapitulation has begun. In this final section of his song, Tamino, with rising self-confidence, answers his second question. I would press her to this burning breast, and forever would she then be mine. Tamino takes his cue from the first violins, which play a gently rising phrase that becomes a counter-melody. Singer and violins engage in a musical conversation. Let's see. Ich würde sie vollenzücken. Sorry, lost my place. Tamino's melody is straightforward. First, a little melodic wave that starts on a B-flat and rises to E-flat through an appoggiatura. I would her. Then the same melodic phrase repeated. Enraptured. His next phrase, which begins similarly, introduces a pattern of skips and, and ends on a chromatic D-flat. Heißen, 
pressed to this burning or heated breast. The phrasing exploits German word order in a gradual revelation of meaning. I would her, enraptured, to this burning breast, and finally the crucial infinitive, drücken, press, which completes the earlier sentence Tamino could not finish. The E-flat to D-flat on drücken captures the very act of pressing. This chromatic tone tenses forward. It conspires with the tones in the accompaniment to form a 1-7 chord. That is, the E-flat major triad with the D-flat as the destabilizing seventh. Heißen, Busen, Drücken. The 1-7, which interprets and deepens Tamino's D-flat, is an applied or passing dominant that pushes into the final phrase of the song, and forever would she then be mine. In her upcoming aria, the queen will echo these words diabolically in a cunning effort to bedazzle and seduce the unwitting Tamino. Tamino repeats the phrase, und ewig wäre sie dann mein, and forever would she then be mine, five times in all, three with the upbeat, und, and, and twice without. The phrases without the und have greater urgency and are allowed to begin on the crucial word ewig, forever. The 1-7 chord on Drücken tends toward an A-flat triad, the, the 4 chord or subdominant in E-flat major. But as Tamino moves to his first, and forever would she be mine, Mozart substitutes the 2-6 chord, that's the 2 chord in its first inversion, which plays the same role as 4 in the harmonic cycle, the moment of stepping away and preparing for the dominant. Why the substitution? No doubt because the two chord, being minor, has greater warmth. That would be the four, but he doesn't do that. get that instead. Much more beautiful. On this 2-6 chord, which lasts an entire measure, Tamino sings a smooth ascent to his A-flat. He then drops to D, degree 7 in E-flat, by way of a leaning tone. The first violins join him in this lovely melodic phrase. part of the chord played by the strings, the 5-7 of E-flat. The, the music pauses on this tense dominant chord. Then, as Tamino sings, and forever would she then be mine, we hear the calm, measured phrase from the exposition when Tamino sang, fills my heart with new emotions. The first appearance of the earlier phrase ended, you recall, with a deceptive cadence on a diminished seventh chord. Mozart repeats that cadence here, but whereas in the exposition, Tamino ended his second phrase serenely on scale degree one, here, at the corresponding moment, he bypasses the E-flat and leaps to his high G on mine. It will go on. 
It is in this measure that phrases with unt switch to phrases without. The shift quickens the momentum of the song. It also produces a happy elision on the tones G, E flat, and C that allows Tamino to combine mine and forever in one phrase to form the unit mine forever. Tamino goes on to stress the degrees of the E-flat major triad in a smoothly flowing phrase that seems destined to land on a low E-flat or one. Let's see if I sing there. Uh. Mine ewig wäre sie dann. And we're expecting mine, but no. At the last minute, he leaps from low F, sorry. At the last minute, he leaps from low F scale degree 2 to the G a ninth above on the word mine, and then overtops the G with an A flat on AV. This is the most dramatic moment in the aria, as Tamino intensifies his previous elision, his musicalized, heat-filled dream of eternally possessing the beloved. Tamino sounds very heroic and confident here. He sings his signature G a lot. It is as though this single tone, scale degree three, embodied the whole of his passion. When he gets to the last utterance of his phrase, his melody again emphasizes the tones of the E-flat major triad. He leaps one last time to his signature G, this time significantly on the word Z, her. This G, however, is not a stable degree of accord, but an appoggiatura tending toward F, two. So, Tamino, in other words, does not merely stress the pronoun that refers to Pamino with a high note. He puts his whole heart into the word and makes it into his final gesture of ardently approaching the beloved. Having reached high G, the tones now descend to E-flat, scale degree 1, by step, with the assistance of D, that is, scale degree 7. Three, two, one, seven, one. A straightforward cadence affirms closure. orchestra ends the piece with a brief, noble-sounding coda composed of two complementary phrases. The phrases are the tonal embodiment of the two complementary sides of Tamino's nature. The first, heroic and forte. The second, tender and piano, a recollection of the fervent E-flat chords with which the song began. So ends my journey through Tamino's aria. I have tried to be faithful in speech to what is there in the tones. I have not, of course, captured all that is there. No one could. Mozart's music, like all great music, is inexhaustible, and every act of listening brings new discoveries. I have tried to present the aria as a tonal time structure that comes to us as a gift from the musical universe and is welcomed by our musically receptive souls. The time structure speaks to our passion and our perception, just as the divine portrait a visual or spatial form speaks to and inspires the soul of Tamino. 
And just as his world is transformed by what he experiences, so too perhaps is ours by the magic of Mozart's incomparable music. I have placed special emphasis on directed tension as the ground of coherence in tonal music. This wholeness through tension is evident in the song's overall form. The first section is an ordered accumulation of tension. The second heightens that tension. It is, as we have seen, Tamino's point of maximum anticipation and perplexity. The third reaffirms E-flat as key, recalls part of the music from the exposition, and brings the whole time structure to perfect balance and resolution. It does all this by accumulating ordered tensions of its own, with which the tones move swiftly to a satisfying close. To listen perceptively to the aria, to hear what is there, is demanding. It takes effort and study. I would like to suggest that behind all the complexities, a simple scheme prevails. The melody, as you know, begins with a rising sixth to a G, the three of E-flat major. The entire piece may be heard, and certainly most simply conceived, as the attempt by three to reach one through the extended intermediation of two. G, F, E-flat. Recall that the first key change came about because the first clarinet played 3-2-2 rather than 3-2-1. This facilitated the transformation of degree 2 in E-flat into degree 5 in B-flat. The rest of the piece, key changes and all, exploits and further develops this move to 2. In other words, 2, F, is not just an element of the E-flat major scale, it is also a principle of the unfolding time structure. To be persuaded of this fact, one has only to observe the crucial role that two plays throughout the piece. The completion of the move 3-2-1 in the overarching scheme takes place only at the end, only after the recapitulation has affirmed E-flat not merely as the key of the final section, but as the governing tone of the entire piece. Only at the end of the journey do we really have and know the beginning. My account of Tamino's aria would be incomplete if I did not say something about Pamina, the enchanting object of Tamino's love. Pamina, I believe, is the focal point of the opera. Of all the good characters, she endures the greatest and most prolonged sufferings. Her mother's absence, the stern tutelage of Sarastro, the violent advances and blackmail of Monostatos, and the revelation of the mother she loves as a demon bent on a murder Pamina herself is ordered to commit. Finally, she suffers despair over what she thinks is lost love and is almost driven to suicide. Pamina is also an exalted figure in the opera. It is she who most embodies what is new about the new, previously all-male order. Through the, uh, which now, through the noble pair, as Tamino and Pamina are called, will overcome the primordial opposition between the male and female. It is Pamina, a virtuous woman, who gives the lie to all the negative things said about women in the opera, and there are a lot of them. It is she who, at a crucial moment of the drama, reveals the strange origin of the flute made by her magus father. In the finale of Act One, Sarastro tells Pamina that a man must guide her heart. This is true. Tamino gives Pamina's heart its proper object and bearing. But in the last two trials that Tamino must undergo, it is Pamina who guides Tamino as love guides her. Finally, it is Pamina who reveals that the magical vocation of music is not to gain power over others or merely to amuse oneself, but to ward off the fear of death. When Pamina joins Tamino for the final trials near the end of the opera, the two face each other in more than the obvious sense. They now see each other clearly for the first time. There is mutual recognition. This recognition is evident in the complementary phrases the lovers use to sing each other's names. Tamino mine, o welchein Glück. Pamina mine, oh welchein Glück. Tamino mine, oh what a stroke of good fortune. Pamina mine, oh what a stroke of good fortune. 
The phrases they sing are two halves of a little musical circle in F major. It is a wedding ceremony in tones. Pamina sings Tamino's name. I think you can hear this. She, sing, she does so with a rising major sixth. C up to A. The same interval with which Tamino's soul rose up in response to Pamina's image. But this is not mere repetition. Tamino's sixth was the sound of passion that aspired but did not know itself. It had shadows and heat. Pamina's sixth is different. It is pure, luminous, and rationally aware. It has Besonnenheit, and in more than the strictly musical sense. Pamina's sixth is the perfection of Tamino's. It is the sublime moment in which passion, now perceptive, finds its purpose. When Tamino first responded to the magic that was Pamina, his love was mediated by an image. He asked himself what he would do if the beloved were standing in front of him. That moment has arrived. For here stands Pamina, not as image, but as solid reality. Tamino's first rush of love was itself a kind of image and dream. It was the first step in his journey from erotic striving and heroic aspiration through painful disillusionment and trials to the moment of enlightenment when images are seen for what they are and when the lover, having transcended mere feeling, now grasps love as act. Pamina is the other, in and through whom Tamino can know himself as the man who loves Pamina, not as a possession, but as a partner in the trials of life. He can see who he is in the eyes of the beloved because the sound of her rising sixth as she sings his name shows him how. Her sixth, her love in musical form, is his unfailing guide. Pamina is more than Tamino's beloved, more than a symbol of virtuous womanhood, her mother in redeemed form, more even than the first woman to gain priestly status within the sacred order. She is Tamino's wisdom and the true magic of Mozart's magic flute. My focus on Tamino's aria prevented me from addressing other characters in the opera, the lovable child of nature, Papageno, the sometimes disturbing Sarastro, the psychologically complex monostatos, and, of course, that titanic mommy dearest, the queen of the night. <laughs> Perhaps we can discuss these characters in the question period. Let me end where I began and say once more to our alumni, welcome home.